History records from the day of creation much of the relationships that God has had with his his creation. We know a lot about past generations, even past centuries, from the historical records and from the Bible records. Amen. We know much about the, the governments, and we know much about the, the leaderships and the, and the, and the kingdoms that um, have in the past centuries risen and to the, to the points of leadership and dominion of, of um, their countries and their peoples. But none of these uh, records that we have have, uh, have never exceeded and all of the knowledges that we, we have of the past generations uh, do not equal what you are involved in as we speak tonight. We live in a generation, in a time uh, in, in the history of God's creation that the human race is in our sight slowly unraveling. Slowly coming to pieces. The fear of God has been diluted until it is only microscopically observable. People do not fear God any longer. People do not really believe in God any longer. Amen. It's a humanistic society globally that you and I have become a part of. Oh, but the Word of God tells us, amen, that the blacker the night becomes, the brighter God's bride will shine on this earth. I'm not concerned about losing, amen, totally losing the battle of righteousness and godliness and morality to the forces of this decadent society that we're a part of because I have read in God's Word that He has a plan. He has a stated plan. Amen. Amen. We're going to win this battle. We're going to rise out of here when the trump of the Lord sounds. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands to God. Amen. Amen. And so my message tonight, I want to carry your attention to Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter, and um, read to you a few verses of Scripture that will be very familiar to you. Mark chapter 16, let me read six or seven verses in your hearing so that we'll have a good basis. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who? shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. Verse 6, And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. One more verse. But go your way 
and tell his disciples. Listen carefully. And Peter, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him <coughs> as he said unto you. I want to preach tonight if the Holy Ghost will help me now. If he doesn't help me and you don't help the Holy Ghost help me, this is going to be a big old flop. I haven't come to entertain you. But I want to reach the heart of every man and every woman in this building with something from God that every one of you are affected by and every one of you need, need to happen in your lifetime. My message tonight is simply this. Make room for the losers. Make room for the losers. Now, if we go back into the New Testament history of the, the, um, the taking of Jesus in the garden and the trial by night and the, the abuse that our Lord Jesus uh, was subjected to and ultimately to the indignity and the, and the humiliation and the horror of his crucifixion. And, and all of the surrounding little things that took place around the hours that Jesus was beaten and falsely accused and ultimately taken to Golgotha and crucified. <clears throat> there were those who the scripture says sat without in the court. And it was cold in the evening. And they builded a fire. And they sat around the fire. And the Bible said that there were ladies and people there and, and, and the Apostle Peter, as we know him, Peter, the disciple, he, he, he was the one that somehow had been selected by our Lord Jesus before the church was established at Pentecost a few days later. He seemed to have been selected back in Matthew 16 to, to be the one that would inaugurate, if you would, the gospel plan of individual salvation, the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord. Amen. He, 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 the Lord asked him back in Matthew chapter 16, I believe it was, he said, Who do you say I am? And he said that you're the Messiah. And the Lord said, uh, uh, Peter, Satan desires you to sift you, to sift you. But I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom. Amen. Now, I don't believe, this is out of the book of Smith, you handle it like you want to, but I don't believe that the apostle Peter had a clue about what the keys of the kingdom involved. He was not filled with the Holy Ghost at this time in his life. He did not know what all was he, he was facing, but he knew that he was very closely connected with Jesus of Nazareth. And so the disciples and all of the friends and their extended families were out that night for this spectacular event. And subsequently and finally, Jesus was, was taken to, to be crucified. And one turned to Peter out there that night in the flickering shadows of, of the fire and said, this is one of them. And he said, no, I'm not one of them. And then he asked him again and he cursed. And about that time, the cock crew. And the Bible says Peter remembered. So basically what I'm preaching about tonight, this time frame, the segment that I'm preaching about, is about the 72 hours before Jesus made his announcement of his resurrection. Because Peter, the apostle, the spokesman, 
the one with the keys to the kingdom, the one who had walked on the water, the one who had observed Jesus walk into his sick mother-in-law's room and cool her fever and raise her up instantly so that she could serve in the house. Peter, the one who had slashed off an ear of Malchus just hours before, and had seen his Lord reach to the ground, rebuke him, and attach Thalcus' ear to his body again. Peter, I might say it this way, must have had about as much attraction to and about as much action and involvement with Jesus of Nazareth at this point in history as any or more than any other man on the earth. But something happened inside him. Something happened, something snapped, something gave way. And he cursed the Savior. He swore he knew him not. I said in the opening brief remarks of, 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 my, of my beginning tonight that my message would affect every man and every woman and every person hearing me tonight because without exception in this body of people, out Everyone has got somebody in your immediate family, a companion, a child, a relative, a neighbor, somebody who has, for whatever the reasons were, have turned away from God and you've shaken your head and asked yourself the question, is there any hope? But I've come from God tonight to tell everybody in this building, don't give up, but make room for the loser. Now, come on. Amen. Now, I don't, I'm not a preacher that preaches for response. Amen. I'm going to preach my message. And don't worry about me. I'm an old man, but I'm going to get through this, okay? I'm going to preach my message. But I'm still smart enough to know whether you're listening or whether you're asleep. And if you're asleep, we're going to come shake you. Because God wants to tell this church, this good Jesus name, apostolic holiness church that he's got something good in store for this people. Amen. So make room in these altars for the losers. You know, there are so many pitfalls. There are so many, so many things that happen in the, in the human experience. Uh, things that you never would expect to deal with. Situations that uh, crop in your life and families that you, you can't for the life of you imagine. How did that come about in my life? You may not have missed a church service for the last 40 years. You may have tied 15% and given another 10%. You may have washed the preacher's car and shined his shoes and vacuumed the church and visited the sick and done all of these things. And all of a sudden one day, something tremendous, bad happens in your life. And it staggers you and it stuns you. Amen. And it shakes if you would be honest with Brother Smith tonight, it shakes your faith. It shakes your faith. I've had that kind of an experience. I know what it is. I know what it is to be shaken to the soles of my feet. I know what it is to walk away and watch a loved family member 
Amen. So far away from God. So seemingly impossible to reach. So violently away from God. But oh, when the Holy Ghost spoke to me in that dream that night, I come out of that chair shouting the victory to myself deep in my soul, saying, thank you, Lord. I'm going to make room for the loser. For nothing is impossible with my God. No sinner. No sin. No fault. No failure. No disappointment. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to somebody now. Come on. Amen. You may be a saint of God. Amen. By outward appearances, everything is fine. Everything is just right. You may be a man. You may be clean-shaven. You may be modest. Your vocabulary may be clean and modest. Amen. You may be honest. You may be a man of great integrity. You may be all these things. But you've got some kind of an issue down in you that the devil has been telling you over and over and over again that it's impossible. It's not going to change. But I've come tonight to tell you from your God, you better make room for the loser. Amen. Praise God. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. Things happen to, to people of God. Things happen. You don't bring them on yourself. It's life. It's living. Amen. Hopelessness. Despair. I once had a man in my church years ago. Big old six foot four burly bone and muscle hunk. And he was just a specimen of manhood. And it seemed like he always had some kind of a, of a deep, deep inner issue. Very personal. And one day he came in my study and was talking to me. And he said, I, I just feel lonely. Lonely, Pastor. I just don't feel connected, Pastor. I don't understand it. And then he made this statement that I never have forgotten and never shall forget as long as I'm alive. Forget as long as I'm alive. He said, in a crowd of a thousand people, I'm lonely. You may be one of those individuals. You may look all right on the outside. You may feel like you're not really connected to this assembly. You may feel like that you don't, you know, you really don't fit in. You may feel like, I don't know what you feel like, but the Lord God has sent an old wore out preacher in your hearing tonight to tell you if you will just make room for the loser, your God will fill that vacuum. Your God will attach you. Your God will bring you peace where there's been turmoil. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. So many things. Amen. Losers. 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 You know, every day the news is tragedy here, tragedy there. Some politician caught in an embarrassing set of circumstances. Uh, some businessman caught with and dishonesty, some clergy. I'm saying clergy because we're preachers. Let's talk about clergy. That's them. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a joke, folks. I'll tell it again next time I'm here, okay? Uh, uh, you know, some clergy, some preacher caught in a shameful relationship and, and all that. And, and, uh, and, and it's just on and on and on. Someone's child. Is is, 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 is uh, 
uh, overtaken by a habit. Someone's child is, is messed up. And uh, I, I, I was at the hospital with, with uh, Alvin Long's wife, Robbie Long, the other day, along with my pastor, Brother Jones. It's assumed the pastor there at the church. I pastored in Lufkin. And, and uh, we come out of the hospital, and we both had suits on. It was a real pretty area there in front of the hospital, and there was a person in a wheelchair. And there was a, the only way I can really describe him to you folks is he was a skinhead. Everybody knows what a skinhead is. We were standing there talking to that person in the wheelchair, and we and Brother Jones, we went on about as far as I'm here to, you know, halfway out there where Brother Huey is, and standing there talking. And I mean, he turned and come straight to me. And I guess he thought the suit made me a doctor. He said, you know that other doctor over there on the other side of the hospital, in that, in that, that tall doctor in that blue suit? And I said, yeah. Immediately I knew he was a middle case. He said, well, you know, my woman has left me after 16 years. I don't have nowhere to go. Boy, and he just went out on a, he just went on, Ed told me all kinds of stuff. Brother Jones is a relative young new pastor there. He hadn't experienced that yet. And I'm standing there, and, and he said, and, and that doctor over there, and that, that tall doctor in that blue suit said, I might ought to go to a mental hospital. He said, man, I've been in a mental hospital for five years. I passed every test they gave me. I ain't crazy. I looked at him. I listened to him a minute. <laughs> I stand there by that big old, big old Pastor Jones, and I put my arm around that pastor, and I said, young man, you see this man right here? I said, he has the solution to every problem you ever got. He will, he will help you. So you talk to him. And I took off and got in my vehicle. <laughs> and when Pastor Jones walked across the parking lot, he wasn't praising the Lord. He was shaking that big old fist at me. Everybody's got some kind of issue. Everybody's got some kind of problem. Everybody in this building tonight brought something to this house with you. It may not be any more severe than a toy. It may not be any more severe than a hangnail. And it may be stopped up uh, blood vessels. It may be tumor somewhere. I don't know what it is. But I'm here to tell you, we serve a God who said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it where you can get out of this mess. Amen. You just need to make room for the losers. Room because they're coming. Now I'm not a politician, but I, 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 I'm, I'm not a I'm not a prophet. But I, I'm smart enough still. I have enough brain and memory left in my age to understand that there's a lot of things happening in this world, Amen. That we never thought would happen. We're seeing things come down. We're seeing uh, we're seeing a, 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 a Sharia law being practiced in the courthouses of the United States of America. Friends, that's frightening. We're seeing things so, so stunningly, seemingly impossible. Failures. Things coming upon us. Until, if you're not careful, we'll just pull into a shell and, and, and kind of wrap our arms around ourselves and, and kind of hunker down and say, God, come quickly. I don't want him to come until he saved every soul he wants to save. Oh, I want to go to heaven with you. I want to walk streets of gold. I want to drink crystal clear waters. But I don't want to go until God says, I've finished my work. 
And I believe with everything in me, amen, that we're going to see people come into this church, amen, from all over the area, amen, from all kind of backgrounds, amen, preachers, preachers' wives, preachers' children, saints of God, saints of God's wives, children, oh, kinfolks, friends, neighbors, they're on the way, pastor, they're on the way, because God has made a way for the loser. It's not pleasant for someone to look you in the face and call you a loser. You ever had that experience? Did you fight him? Tell the truth. Did you hit him? Just in the spirit. It's not pleasant to be called a loser. Human nature, human mentality does not like to view those close to us. Identify those children and those companions and friends and family and acquaintances. We don't like to, we don't want to identify them as losers because there's something so vile attached to the definition of a loser. And I'm here to tell you the entire distance, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, the entire distance between a loser and absolute victory is one honest, repentant prayer. Not penance. Not walking on glass. Not making some kind of absurd human physical something other. But just a moment in existence when an individual, a loser, has that moment whenever... God speaks to his heart. It may not last but five seconds or ten seconds or fifteen seconds. But whenever God speaks to that inner man, loser though he is, something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. Some of you here tonight that are listening to this funny message. You brought your own little set of problems. You brought your own little set of idiosyncrasy. You brought your own little things that you're not going to stand up and testify to in a public gathering. But you got them captured. You got them in your heart. You got them private in your mind as I preach. And I'm here to tell you, amen, you're not a loser. You're not a loser. You're afraid to bring it to God. Don't be afraid to bring it to God. This is the plan. Sophisticated Pentecost is a stench in the nostrils of God. Now, I didn't say stupid Pentecostals. There's an eternity of difference between stupid people and sophisticated want-to-be people. Now, I've got to go back and give a little lesson. One of the guys in our church. i got a golf buddy in Lufkin. Owns a big air-conditioning company. He's one of the prominent businesses in the city. Somewhere, this kid, a young married man, has heard me talking to some of my golf buddies about some of the things that happened to me and Sandy. So at church the other night, this young man comes to me, and he said, Hey, I went to work for your buddy. I said, You did? Who is that? He called his name. I said, Oh, you did? So I said, Well, good, man. Make him a good hand. He's a good man. And I went on. I got to thinking about that. I've been thinking about it all week. The more I thought about it, the madder I got. 
Oh, come on. My mind built all kinds of scenarios. Stupid things that kid said. I could just, I could, man, I manufactured all kinds of stuff. So this morning after church, he was standing in the front doors of the church. And as I went out, he said, Ah, I met your friend. Finally met your friend. I said, Oh, you did? He said, Yeah, I met him. He called him by his first name. I said, Let me tell you something, son. On the job, he's Mr. Ferrara. Here in the church, he's Brother Ferrara. Remember that. Don't get it mixed up. Don't call him Sammy. Call him Mr. Ferrara. Make him a good hand. And I left. You see, now that don't amount to much. Why in the world would you tell that? Well, there, 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 there's, there's it's, it's worth thinking about this. The devil tells us sometimes, gets in our minds, we get stressed out with all kinds of things, bills and recessions and depressions, and boy, I can get your attention now. Everybody repeat after me loudly, I-R-S. Well, some of them are awake. <laughs> you know, so many things that can get in our mind and get us pressed down and, and, and when, you know, and you, you just feel like you're beat down and, and life's coming in and closing in on you and so forth. And that's when the devil comes. When he gets you weary. He gets you down tired. He gets you wore out. <clears throat> gets you stressed out. And then he starts whispering in your conscience. Man, you in a mess. If the pastor ever found out about this. If the pastor's wife knew this. You stand in front of a mirror. I don't. You stand in front of a mirror with a scissors, and the devil says, "You're so beat down. You're so you you got my man. You're you're twice the girl you was when you married. You know, and you get stressed, and you and that's when he comes to you. And so, so you did take a snip, not a dip, but a snip." And then the devil says, is, is this too plain? Is this too unpentecostal? Is this too sophisticated? And then the devil comes and says, well, now you've done it. Everybody in Harris County knows you've done it. Every time you drive down the freeway, people crane their necks out the car windows to see what you've done. And he beats on you. And he beats on you. And if you don't understand what's going on, then the next thing you know, you look in the mirror and you'll hear a subtle little voice in your soul say, you're a loser. You lost it. You haven't lost nothing. You're in a fight. It'll grow back. Hide the scissors. Pray in Jesus' name. You ain't a loser. I'm just preaching about human nature tonight. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to preach half of what I brought to preach because I realize I've just about wore my welcome out already. <clears throat> so you come into church? Man, we got an old couple in our church, Swedish. Well, you'll know them, old Donald and Helen Luce. Some of y'all know the Luces. 
sweetest man I ever knew in my life. I told him, he's, he's a few years older than me. I told him the other night at the church, I hugged him, and I said, Brother Luce, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And, and, and uh, she, she is a hostess at the church. And she comes early. She drives her little car. And old Donald's got a big old battleship, one of them big old Cadillacs. It's a block and a half long. It's, it's showroom new. He polishes that thing up, and he's about, he comes up to about right here on me. He's not real big. And when he gets in that big old Cadillac, you can't, you can't see nothing but the top of his head. You don't want to get in front of him because he can't see where he's going. But they come to church different times. Pretty often someone will say, well, Brother Luce, you and your wife have an argument? No. Well, you didn't come to church together. Oh, son, he said. That's funny, isn't it? But how many times have couples come into the house of God, seated themselves, put the big smile on, the big Pentecostal front, amen, and they've been all but cussing one another out in the parking lot. Yeah, and you come into church, and somebody gets a blessing, and that's all. God bless me with one leg to run on, and I don't. when I run, I run in a circle. And that ain't very fast. But you see somebody get a big old blessing, and you, you, you just pat the seat next to you over there, and you know who's sitting by you? Satan. He's here. Hey, hey Satan, I don't want to say how you're doing, son, but are you enjoying this? Because you're here. And he's sitting by you, and he leans over, and he whispers in your ear, Boy, <laughs> if the church just knew what he said to me out of that car, if the church, if the preacher just knew what she said, the words she used, and the pastor says, everybody raise your hands and praise the Lord. And, and you raise your hands and the devil is saying, you take you're a loser. No, <laughs> you're not a loser. You're just a poor old human being. You're just a poor old human being with a human mind. You're just a poor old human being with a human psyche and a human nervous system and a human capacity for pressure and stress. No, you're not a loser. You're a creature. You're a God's perfection. You are not a loser. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All kinds of things, situations, problems, people. Oh, I could go. I could talk about the finance. I could talk about. You don't want me to talk about the finance. Uh, no, I won't talk about that. I'll wait till I'm somewhere where they need it. Amen. Praise God. All kind of human situations. Losers. Losers, 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 losers. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be 71 years old my next birthday if I make it. And I've been preaching. All my life, that's all I ever done. And I've read the Bible time or two. Oh, let me tell you about this year. Y'all ready to brag a little bit on the preacher? I need a little help up here. My pastor, the first of the year, said we need to get this red card up on the wall. We're going to park it off every month, and everybody in the house is going to read the Bible through this year. And, and every month when you read the, read the month, you check it off, and you get a Starbucks card. That, that motivated me. And uh, so... I got home on January the 5th. I sat in my big chair. I said, Joy, 
Now make sure I tell this right, baby, okay? Uh, I said, Joy, I've been reading the Bible all my life. And I've read it through. But I never have just taken my Bible and sat down in the chair and read it from cover to cover without stopping. She kind of looked at me. I sat down. It was wintertime. There wasn't much. You couldn't play much golf. You couldn't do much, you know, important things like that. But during the day, and being retired, you have to do a lot of that stuff. Just to, you understand? And uh, so I sat down in the chair on January the 5th. I started reading on February the 5th. I had read it completely through for the first time. So I went to church, and they said, how many of y'all up to date on your Bible reading? I put my hand up. And uh, they said, where are you? I said, I'm through. I've started the second time. Can I have all 12 of my Starbucks cards? <laughs> no, you can't do it. So, <laughs> so I kept on reading in about 30 more days. I read it the second time. Went back to church. Oh, I didn't even tell them that. I went back to church. I started the third time. I was about Second Chronicles on the third trip through, and the evangelist was there, and they slowed the service down a little bit and said, how many of y'all are up to date on your Bible reading? I put my hand up. And it kind of intimidated the pastor because he knew something was coming. He said, uh, Brother Smith, where are you? I said, oh, I'm in June of 2013. Aren't y'all proud of me? <laughs> That's where Charlotte gets it all. Uh, I've read the Bible, and I've read the Bible, and I've read the Bible. And I've heard it preached. And when I was a little kid in V.A. Gidrose's church in, in Baytown, Texas, that old church that started in my mom and daddy's living room, I can still remember old V.A. Gidrose preaching, hell hot enough to French fry anything. Amen. Send me home as a 7, 8, 9, 10, 12-year-old kid. I'd crawl under the covers. My room was the former front porch of the house. It was the, Daddy took the, it in, and, and he put windows on the, south, on the east end, the south end, and the north end against the wall, front wall of the house. Everywhere I looked, I could see where Jesus was going to be coming. And I'd go home from church so shaken, so, so messed up, so, so scared, because I knew I wasn't right, sister. I knew. I hadn't told my mama the truth about everything. And some of the switches she gave me with that sycamore switch, some of them were deserved. I'd go home from church with hell and the unpardonable sin embedded in my, embedded in my, in my mind and my soul so deeply until I would cover my head up because I knew I was going to see Jesus come from the east. I'd give everything I've ever accumulated and everything Jesus asked me for. If I could feel that presence in this tabernacle as I speak tonight. Men and women, amen, who have been beat down by the lies of the devil. Told you're a loser. Told you won't never have that walk with God. Told you won't ever get to that place. My God, stand on your feet. Resist him, amen. He's a liar. You're not a loser. Church, you're God's people. I'm too old to carry on too long like this. Amen. All kinds of issues, problems, failures, failures, failures. I've got to admit, I've seen some things in the late years of my life. I've seen some people come to God that I'd written off a long time ago. And so I'm back to reading the Bible. I've read those scriptures over and over and over and over and over. 
And I, 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 I am not prepared to sit on the judge's seat and define for you sweet people the unpardonable sin. Because I've known people curse the heavens, curse God, backslide, curse, curse, and come back, Brother Hughes. I'm not a judge. I'm not a judge. I'm not going to judge anybody. Amen. But at the same time, I'm not going to write anybody off. I don't care how, what kind of a, a repetitious failure there is. I don't care. You know, the Scripture teaches us that the good, good, good man in the New Testament said, Lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you. But that little besetting sin, amen, when it happens over and over and over and it brings you to desperation and tears and the devil says, You might as well quit. I got news for you tonight. Make room for the losers. This is where you get over it. This is where you conquer it. I believe with everything in me, people that don't know God in the fullness of the name uh, of the Godhead and in the power and the, and, and the new birth experience. Amen. Thank God we do have counselors. But I want to tell you, I will not serve a God, amen, that has a, a hang-up. I would not serve a God, amen, that was limited in any minute thing. My God is able to do above all that we can think or ask in His name. There is no sin and there is no loser. Looking backwards at that morning service when I preached this in that church. Looking back at the human destruction and devastation in that church. You know, illegitimacy. Everything just about you can name in the family of the pastor. A man of character, a man struggling, a man weeping, a man crying out to God year after year after year after year. Amen. Fighting spirits, fighting spirits continually whispering in his ear, they're losers. They're lost. You might as well pray for somebody else's kids. You might as well pray for somebody else's kids. You might as well pray for somebody else's marriage. Because yours is doomed. It's not doomed. Amen. The devil's a liar. I'm talking to somebody in this house tonight. No, sir, it's not doomed. I'm telling you, God has made a way in a place for the loser. And I've just about preached everything I want to preach. I want to close with some very, 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 very unusual verses of Scripture. Every student of the Bible, every experienced child of God knows about the prophets and Isaiah and Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, all these great men. Some of those lesser known Minor prophets, we call them, penned Amos, penned some words that are pretty startling. Amos chapter 9. Now, Amos, Amos was a prophet 
uh, in the kingdom of Jeroboam II, who was a Jewish prophet. And uh, he, he prophesied about the destruction and the scattering of Israel, of God's people. And the things that he said were so dire and so hard to believe because Jeroboam II was a very capable and successful king. In fact, he brought the kingdom to its, to its peak of existence. And here is this little-known guy named Amos out here prophesying gloom and doom. He said, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door that the posts may shake and cut them in the head and all of them, and I will slay the last of them with a sword that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Then he said, Though they dig into hell, then shall my hand take them. Thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And you read on through those dire, dire prophecies. Behold, the eye of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. For though I will command... And I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. And all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. But then he said, Boy, that's pretty strong stuff. He's prophesying that to the most successful king of God's people that ever was. That's David and Solomon. The man who ruled the peak of, of the Lord's people at this point in history. Seemed like an impossibility. But in that day, I, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that's fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up the ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. And behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall, wait, shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon the land, and they shall no more be pulled out of their lands which I have given them, saith the Lord. Thy God. Make room for the losers. How many here are full of the Holy Ghost tonight? Raise your hand. Your classroom test here. None of you that raise your hands, signifying you're filled with the Holy Ghost, are filled up enough. That you'll again raise your hand and say, Brother Smith, I brought something with me to church tonight that the devil has been telling me was a loser. Is there anybody in the house that lift your hand? Or have I totally missed it? 
Let me ask the question again. Anybody here bold enough, honest enough, concerned enough, fearful of God enough? Well, look, you might not have been, you didn't rob a bank and you didn't shoot somebody. That's not what I'm talking about. But just something that the enemy has been pressing you for and just about got you convinced you're in a losing situation. That wayward child is never going to pray through. That unsaved companion is just not ever going to bend. So are you out there? Are you out there? there, There's a bunch more of you out there that just not responding. There's a bunch more out there. Amen. Another pastor asked me before church. No, it wasn't. It was another preacher I ran into today in a restaurant. Said, Brother Smith, you got an iPad? I said, No. I got a Motorola flip phone. And he said, Boy, I've got one. He said, I got one. And he wanted to stop and tell me how good it was. I didn't come here tonight with an iPad full of borrowed sermons. I, I, I am able to use a computer a little bit. My problem is, all the sermons that I put on a CD years ago when I retired, a whole bunch of them. We're on a prior operating system. And this latest computer that I've got will not read that disc, and I can't find nobody that'll do it for me. And if you know how to do it, well, come home with me because I need those sermons real bad. I didn't bring you that kind of a message tonight, folks. I brought you something from God to tell you that there's a place for the loser in this church. The real losers. The real losers in the house and the work of God are those individuals who are so frightened and so fearful of what somebody else is going to think until you just stay and you do nothing about it. God's made a place for you tonight. Made a place for you. But you see, we're in Pentecost. Here we go. In Pentecost, he's sitting there. I know in some of the churches where I've been, now I know I'm probably talking, y'all don't do this, but in a lot of churches where I've been in my life, they they sit in there and, and somebody makes a little move at this time of the altar, uh, at this time of the service, they say, that guy, that guy, he knew what I knew. And it's, pretty, it's pretty sensitive where I'm at now. But we sit on our preachers in self-righteousness. And that's a bad word for Pentecostals, isn't it? We sit self-righteously. Amen. And we resist the pull of the Spirit. And we're waiting for tongues and interpretation. And the Spirit says, Yay! Ron Smith, get up! Something subtle like that. And all the time we're like that old prophet up on that mountain that the wind blows so hard it bursts the rocks and the fire comes down. The wind blew, but he didn't feel God. But that still, small voice stood him on his feet. If I could tonight and God will allow me, I'd walk off this platform and close my eyes and say, Lord, lead me to every individual in this building, saints. I'm preaching to saints tonight. I'm not calling you backslid. That's not what Brother Smith's doing. I'm talking to a bunch of people that have been faithful to God through unbelievable oppression and opposition. 
and name calling. In every other insidious form of human annihilation that the devil can send. If the Lord would let me have the ability, I'd close my eyes, Pastor, and I'd walk out to every person that can hear that still small voice. Amen. And I'd lay my hands on you and shake you in an effort to shake you loose from the paralysis of self-accusations. I'm preaching to you tonight, folks. I use that phrase on purpose, self-accusations, because I'm convinced as the Spirit of God is real, amen, that there are those in this tabernacle tonight that are locked and bound by self-accusations. Things that no other human being knows. Fears, uncertainties. Uncertainties, fears. Anybody raise your hand and say, I, I, I deal with fears. Crazy fears. I deal with fears. Years ago, it's stress. I, 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 give me five more minutes, okay? I hope I can do it in five minutes. Years ago, Dr. Hughes, you may have to help me get through this now because I'm a pretty messed up individual. Years ago, those days, Brother Hughes, when you were down in South Texas with us, I was serving on the district board. And, and, and one day, it was a beautiful spring day, there was a death, and Sister Smith and I got in the car, and we went to Gatesville to a funeral. We got there about an hour early, and they said, I said, let's drive around, baby. So there's a lake up there somewhere. And, and so we're driving around that lake, and we're going across the dam. And I got right on top of that dam, and something, some spirit took me. Took everything, every muscle, every strain in my body. Could not stop my car and leap off that dam. Head first. I never said anything to anybody. I wrestled with that spirit and I wrestled with it. One night I had to go down to Brownsville and I come back into Corpus Christi about 2 o'clock in the morning. Brother Hughes, you know all about that. And I got to that Corpus Christi Ship Channel Bridge, the highest structure west of the Mississippi, 160 feet from the bottom of that bridge to the surface of the water. I know that because the man in my church was the engineer in charge of that bridge. I'm coming in by myself at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that spirit sees me again. He said, you're losing your mind. I said, God, I'm talking to somebody. God, and I could not make myself cross that bridge. And I drove miles in the wee hours of the morning around that bridge. Never said a word about it. Months passed. Months. One day I had Jack Yance. Brother, you may remember Brother Jack Yance, the home missions man from headquarters. I flew him down to Corpus. I'd never been one-on-one with him at all. I picked him up one day and we went to... Brownsville again, Brother Hughes. We're riding down through that old King Ranch, nothing but <coughs> nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say snakes. <laughs> and he just started talking. He said, you know, Brother Smith, one day, one time, he said, when I was pastoring, a spirit got a hold of me. 
And I was frightened to leave my house. I wouldn't get out of my house. I didn't want to get in a crowd of people. So he had my whole attention. Just out of the clear blue. I wasn't expecting that. I was wanting to get acquainted with a man from the national offices. I wanted, I wanted a, a toehold in the, you know what I mean. Come on, I'm a human. Out of the clear blue. He starts telling me that. He said, I wouldn't get out of the house. I wouldn't, I wouldn't get around people. He said, I, I, he said, I was tormented. I was, I was bound by fear. He said, and I had old Andrew Urshan. Now, this has been a while ago. He said, I had Andrew Urshan coming by, and I had to go get him. So I, got, I did get in the car, and I went and got the old man. I drove up in my driveway, and he said, I parked. I got out, and the old brother got out, picked up his little suitcase, and walked to my front door and stopped and set that suitcase on the ground heaven and said may the peace of the Lord God of heaven inhabit this house and he said it was just like somebody doused me with cold water it broke and when he told me that it broke Amen. the devil just about had me convinced I was a loser he had me questioning my sanity oh I'd never seen things or heard voices I'd never done any of that but the devil knows exactly how to come against you. And if he can keep you through fear and self-accusation, frozen on a pew, when the presence of God's Spirit comes into place and says, I've got the solution. Oh, I've just come to tell somebody tonight. This is where the losers come. This is where the losers come. This is where the losers come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so my last scripture, and I'm going to read it. I'll just, I'll just remind you of it because you all know it. That lady taken into adultery. The very act. I think I'm pretty certain to say that nobody in this building has ever been taken publicly in the act of adultery. Don't raise your hand. But I'm certain of whom I'm preaching to. But Jesus, to quickly pass through that little passage of Scripture, he forgave her and said, where are your accusers? Let him in the first, without sin, cast the first stone. It's a changing day we live in, ladies and gentlemen. It's a changing day we live in. Him. The gospel will never change. Jesus said, not one, not one dot, no one tittle of my word will pass away. But Pastor Hughes, I pray for you regularly, sir, because you, you don't even realize what you're fighting. You're so bent over, so bowed down, so burdened, so pressed up, amen, so, 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 uh, so stressed out. You don't really have time to look up and really measure the force of your enemy. But I pray for you. I didn't come to this service tonight expecting people to run in the aisles. I didn't come expecting people to jump up and down on their feet and cheer. I've seen exactly what I expected to see. That by the help of God and by the authority of His Word, there shall not one soul walk out the doors of this church tonight that has not felt the Spirit of God talking to you 
in a still, small voice telling you, you are not a loser. You are not a loser. You are not a loser. Pastor, I told a man today, I told Brett Cooley, we were talking after church today, I told him I was going to Houston. He said, oh, my God, Houston. And somebody else joined in, and I said, I know just how you feel. I love all you folks. I pray for you all every day, all God's people everywhere. I pray for God's people. Amen. But I made this statement. I said, if, if, if it was presented to me to decision, I don't know if I had the option of choosing one or two, whether it be live in Houston or just die. There won't be one soul in Houston, Texas that come to church tonight, walk out of here and be able to stand and look in God's face and say, Lord, I didn't feel a thing. Because like I said at the outset of this little beginning sermon, every human being in this building deals with libelous accusations of the enemy of your soul. exception. So I'm not going to call for some kind of emotional response. I'm just going to tell you that I've opened my heart to you tonight. I've said things that I know are not popular in Pentecostal pulpits. I know that. But I know where it came from. And my final remarks I want to take you back to that night that Jesus cursed and swore, that uh, Peter cursed and swore. And then I want to step you quickly to the 72 or so hours from the time that man cursed and swore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the things that went through his mind? He recalled that day in that boat and that storm when he said, Let me come, Jesus. And he stepped out of the boat. And he remembered then as a cock crew, he turned to listen and he cursed. Can I imagine? 72 hours of undefinable hell in the mind and spirit of that great preacher. But oh, it didn't end there. Because Jesus has made a way and a place for the losers. Amen. And that young man dressed in white sitting in that tomb, Brother Pastor, looked at those ladies, said, you seek Jesus, but he's not here. Go tell his disciples and tell that cussing disciple to come. Because I got a place to take care of all of that. It's a little insignificant place on top of a house called the upper room. In just a few hours more, a few made days more, when they begin to pray, they begin to face the commandments of God. And when the wind begins to blow, and when the tongues of fire begin to set on each of them, 
And they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. It was an eternal scream to the very depths of hell. Satan! They're not losers. <laughs> They're saints of God. They're children of God. Amen. And it's been happening ever since. And Jesus wants it to happen in this church again tonight. Amen. Somebody needs to come. Somebody needs to be bold enough to rise up. That don't mean you're backslid. You just need to be bold enough to come up here and lift your hands and say, Oh, God, thank you. I'm not a loser. I'm not a loser, God. I'm not a loser. I've stumbled, Lord. I've made mistakes. I've failed you, Lord. I've failed myself, but I'm not a loser. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Oh, Jesus.